Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi, hello, how are you? It's Daryl, and welcome to episode 50 of Cage Rage, a Nicholas Cage podcast. The show in which I, your humble host and guide, Daryl Edge, am on the journey to true Cage Nirvana in effort to watch all of the greatest actor of our generation's filmography, all of his works, all of his doings, in order to better understand the man and come closer to the godlike status of the Golden Hog himself. That status, of course true cage nirvana how are you doing this week how has it been uh the pub gardens the back open in the old uk so i had a had a pint or two and that's been delightful um had a haircut you know it's not you wouldn't think that's a massive thing to talk about but when you haven't had one for seven months i feel like a new man i was having my haircut and um for about a minute during the process when it was getting snips down i had a mullet right it was kind of just like flicking out of the back and there was a real party going on at the back. And I was really tempted to ask the hairdresser just to stop. I'm not going to lie, you know, I've, um, the mullet, I think it's one of those haircuts and you joke about getting it. But, but I had it. <laughs> I had it, you know, I, and I'm going to be honest. It felt right. It felt right. And part of me regrets not, to, not sticking to my guns and seeing it out. But here we are. We move on. Time keeps on flowing forwards. And we're here with episode 50. Um, it's Bangkok Dangerous this week. And uh, just in case you're wondering as well, where's where's National Treasure 2? Where's Book of Secrets? Shouldn't that have been next chronologically? Yes. Yes, you're right. It should have done. Um, don't worry. It's coming. Just had to move some bits and pieces around in the schedule just due to some uh, moving around of things on my side of the stuff. But don't worry. It's coming. I don't know if it's going to be next week or the week after, but you will get your National Treasure too. And uh, this week I was actually joined by stand-up comedian Aaron Tett, old friend of mine from the university days to join for Bangkok Dangerous. Um, this episode was recorded way back in November 2020, I want to say, um, on a slightly older microphone as well. And I think one of the first times I sort of really properly tried to use um audacity and uh get this whole guest thing down so um there's some there's some stop starts i hadn't quite figured out a bunch of things on it so but you'll notice at a certain point the audio quality slightly changes because we had to go and use some of Aaron's audio as well but it's still come out all right i think it's still come out good not as cursed as the uh, ghost rider episode by any means but let's be honest at this point you don't come to this podcast for audio quality you come at it for pure fucking full hog bounce uh, so Aaron very uh, kindly and keenly picked Bangkok Dangerous. Um, Aaron, the Cherry Comedy Breakout Act of the Year 2020 winner, Funny Women Stage Award 2020 runner-up. Um, and we we discussed a lot of things. We discussed Nick Cage's hair, just the weird romance in this film. Um, just in how ev- almost every respect this film 
does not make sense, nor need to exist. Uh, it was a lot of fun to have Aaron on the show. I hope you can enjoy the episode as well. Um, all of Aaron's links in the description down below. Uh, speaking of admin, you can find me on Twitter at cage underscore podcast on Instagram at cage rage pod. And I'm on all of the usual streaming services as well. Spotify, Apple, Google, Amazon, Stitcher, Deezer, iHeartRadio, tuned in. Uh, if you're listening to one that you can leave a rating on, i.e. Apple, i.e. Podchaser, uh, feel free to leave a rating if you so desire. It helps the show grow and overcome the algorithms and find more people, which is always nice. Uh, but that out of the way, let's jump right into the big fitty. Um, it's Heron Tate's Derelage. It's Bangkok Dangerous. Duh. So it's 2008. It's the only film that Nicolas Cage put out this year. Was it a good one? Was it a stinker? Did he have ridiculous hair? We'll find out as we go to Bangkok Dangerous. In this action crime thriller, it stars Nicolas Cage as Joe, professional hitman who is in Bangkok. Yeah, that's right. To pull off a series of jobs. Along the way, he hires a street hustler and falls in love with a deaf woman violating his own personal code and everything starts to go to shit. Many Bangkok fingers in many dangerous pies. Joining me on the journey to True Cage Nirvana this week to get to the bottom of this, whatever this is, it's Erin Tet. Thank you very much, Erin, for joining me. How are you? Hello, I'm all right. How are you? <laughs> I'm very well. I'm very excited to discuss this one um, yes. because now I've watched it, I can't unwatch it. <laughs> <laughs> And I, I, we've been having a chat about this sort of off camera and I um, suspect that maybe you feel a little bit the same. Oh, yeah, yeah. A bit of it, but I feel like you need to get it out. All it's, of the thoughts need to go somewhere. It's one of those where you've got to rip the bandaid off, yeah. yeah. This, this is, I remember when this came out in 2008, and only because <laughs> I have such distinct memories of this time in my life, only because it was it was funny to say Bangkok if you were a guy in high school. It was a it was a great time for high school comedy if you're a teenage boy. Let me tell you. Um, what I didn't realize in doing some research this is this is actually a remake yes. of the exact same film, but Nicolas Cage is in it, and he's. The same directors, the Pang brothers, Danny and Oxide Pang, great names, if I do say so myself. Um, I'm good. Oxide. Oh, what, what a name. Oxide Edge. I'm decided that's my first child's <laughs> name. Um, turns out he has a production company called Saturn Films, and there is next to no information about Saturn Films available on the internet. And you see a film like this and think, I wonder why. Um, but with this, and obviously we'll get we'll get into it a bit more. But what now you've seen this film? Mm. Um, after I enticed you in with it having the score of eight percent on Rotten Tomatoes, what are your initial thoughts on Bangkok Dangerous? Um, well, in, initially when I I was going through the list of Nicolas Cage films. Uh, trying to see which one I was reading it and 
I just read Bangkok Jam. I, Bangkok Dangerous, I didn't even go any further than that because that's, <laughs> that's obviously the one that we should talk about. <laughs> uh, I, didn't, I didn't need to go past 2008. You had like, me at Bangkok. You grabbed me at Dangerous. <laughs> like, this is clearly going to be the best film that he's probably ever made. And I've not seen it yet. I mean, it is um, a big claim a bold claim because he has made some films. Let me <laughs> let me tell you, he's a man who will not start making films, as we were saying off camera. He's a marathon man. He's not a sprinter. They're not going to stop. <laughs> Please don't. They'll never stop. Even when I'm on my deathbed, surrounded by family, there'll be another Nicolas Cage film out, and oh. that's the way. That's the way I want to go out. Um, so, so obviously with Nicolas Cage spanning generations, he's like, I don't know if our generation's Bigfoot is the best way to describe him because you're not sure, but he's always there. Uh, what for you, um, you know, what are your thoughts on Nicolas Cage, the man, the myth, the actor? The legend. The legend. I mean, yes, but some people don't agree. Um. Well, Nicholas Cage is round. Um, he, he'll always be in a movie. I would, if I was picking a movie and it was had Nicholas Cage in it, I would probably be like, well, yeah, let's just watch this movie then. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I think... It, it kind of tips, tips it the weight of it to be like, oh, I don't know whether we should watch it. Oh, Nicholas Cage is in it. Okay. I mean, for me, and obviously I'm a little bit biased, you just, I don't need to know the plot of the film. I don't need to know the genre, the running time. Just give me two words, Nicholas Cage, and I will watch it. Yeah. And that's brave because it really could be anything. <laughs> <laughs> let, me, let me tell you on this podcast, it often is. Yeah. Really, the guy does not have a genre or a like. He'll do a really big Hollywood film. He'll also do a really small, terrible film. He'll do action, whatever the else the rest he does. <laughs> that he'll share. He'll act with share. <laughs> Moonstruck, great film. Uh, he's got a fake hand in that, and he ba- he's a bread baker. <laughs> So don't you dare tell me that man doesn't have range because I won't hear it. I don't know anybody who would have seen that there's a film that exists that has Nicolas Cage and Cher in it and then said, no, not tonight. Like, <laughs> you're going to watch that. That, was, that. that did really well in the awards. When, when did that come out? I think it was like 91, 92, early 90s. But Cher did really well off the back of that. Cage snubbed <laughs> <laughs> outrageous i see a lot of like times in films you look into information where he's uh maybe sometimes had like some whiffs of award attention um I mean, we always forget he's an academy award and golden globe winning actor um and sometimes when you see a film that advertises him as such it's not always the best film because they've not got a lot else to market with <laughs> But he demands his price. God damn it! But... Um, I've I've also heard that um, that 
that he describes himself as because he because people say he's like really big a really big actor that he actually describes it as mega acting <laughs> there is um self-proclaimed mega actor i mean we were losing touch of the mega actor label and i'm glad yeah. that someone <laughs> stepped in and said you know what no i am the mega actor i so think you'll find and then there's mega acting. <laughs> there's lesser actors there's actors <laughs> and then there's me i'm the top of the echelon of acting um it's interesting what you say there because he does do and i think he has done at this point every single genre of film and just when you think when you have the audacity to think you know the type of cage you're gonna get he does something completely different um i mean with bangkok dangerous before this is at the same time, he's got uh, like the National Treasure films out. He's done Kick-Ass. He's done Ghost Rider. Then he does a bunch of other fantasy films with The Sorcerer's Apprentice. You can't pin him down. <laughs> he's not a one genre kind of guy. He's You're mega acting. <laughs> this is mega acting. <laughs> you can't tie down mega acting. <laughs> I mean... Right now, like at the time of recording this, um, he's having what a lot of people would say, what I would say, is a, a, a cage renaissance almost. He's doing um, a lot of horror films at the moment, a lot of trippy horror films. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you haven't seen them. No, I haven't. I mean, genuinely, I would thoroughly recommend Mandy, it's like a, a black metal horror film. Um, and I'm and obviously saying this out of context, probably does it no favors to say it's someone who hasn't seen it, but he has a chainsaw fight with another guy. Okay, yeah. Um, he has stop say no more. <laughs> <laughs> right, Mandy, write that down. Mandy. Um He's got Colour Out of Space and he's got Willy's Wonderland coming up, which is described as the Magenta Trilogy because it's all a bit purple in hue. Uh, but Willy's Wonderland, he'll be starring as a character called the Janitor and he fights animatronic amusement park animals. So I don't know how else to sell his current work to you. Uh, but, uh, very good. <laughs> I mean, some, he, I think he is someone that gets a bad rap because he, there are a lot of films when you watch them, you're like, oh yeah, he can act. I forget that he's a mega actor. Um, now your silence is not encouraging, like really. I'm just trying to wonder. Also, I'm just so busy visualizing a chainsaw fight um, that I really don't know how I'm going to do the rest of this. <laughs> if we need to stop so you can just uh, take two hours to watch it and then come back when that's... <laughs> Do they just clang together or do they saw through each other? Uh, it is a bit of clanging. Uh, so <laughs> again, I don't I don't want to give too much away because this film is and isn't what you think it is. So he has a normal sized chainsaw, but the guy he fights has a mega chainsaw. <laughs> Let me tell you, that's that's real long. Um only comparable when I was young, I had a Beyblade with like a super long rip cord that was like a meter long. That's the only frame of reference I've got for a long chainsaw. I've not lived an adventurous life. Forgive me. 
um but it's really really good yeah and after this, you'll watch it those words will be eaten and you're like you know what i never knew a chainsaw fight could be so could fulfill me as a human being so much yeah. <laughs> i don't even know i needed to watch a chainsaw fight but let me tell you you're not the same person after you've watched yeah. it it changes you um so with that said obviously cage is still giving us experiences even now uh do you recall potentially what your first introduction to cage was and um what you have what your first experience of him was i don't even know the problem is <laughs> you know there's just certain actors that you like have merged in with other actors so to me like yeah. this cage and keanu reed are the same <laughs> I don't know how that happens. It's like that. What's his name? Gordon Levitt guy, and then yes. there's five other people that look like him, and they're all the same guy. Yeah, Gordon and the Levitts. Yeah, Gordon and the Levitts. <laughs> there's just people that just like they're all the same one. So, so I have merged them a bit in my mind. Um, but in Singapore, they used to have this, uh, I, I didn't have cable in Singapore, so it just was like local TV and then like loads of American stuff. But there used to be this thing called Blockbuster Fridays. Oh, um, I love so it already. A blockbuster at like seven. <laughs> every yes. yes. And they just like obviously bought face off and <laughs> doing it like every other Friday oh that's living the dream I know but I've actually never seen it oh so annoying because it's a classic and also I'll watch anything where John Travolta's face is like five times the size it's supposed to be (laughs) (laughs) John Travolta's stage (laughs) well the the best part is that is with face-off you get obviously Travolta and Cage playing their own characters, but then they're basically just doing imitations of each other for most for yeah. two hours. And John Travolta's Nicolas Cage. Yeah. Jeff's kiss. Yeah. It's, it's so I, I good. I really lost out by not watching it. I think it just was like it was on so many times that it was like, we get it. Putting <laughs> <laughs> this movie on. At least the people of Singapore are crying out for a different yeah. film. Please. <laughs> We want our Fridays back. So many times. (laughs) I've seen the trailer, like the amount that the move, like the length of the movie, like over and over. So basically you've been haunted by Face Off. As far as you're concerned, Nicolas Cage, Keanu Reeves and Joseph Gordon-Levitt are the same person. Yeah. It's like any (laughs) brunette man in Hollywood. (laughs) (laughs) That's Nicolas Cage. That's Nicolas Cage. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, even more extensive range of films that he's been. <laughs> it's it's an interesting crossover though because I was reading not too long ago there was a bunch of roles that uh, Nicolas Cage was touted for but either didn't get or he passed up for whatever reason. Apparently, at one point, um, he was nearly cast as Neo in The Matrix before that went to Keanu Reeves. How are you? So <laughs> <laughs> and I know this one when I've explained this to people, this is when people physically retract. He was nearly Shrek. No. (laughs) 
the absolute rejection in your voice like didn't happen. What voice was he going to do? I'm going to have a guess and say it wasn't Scottish. That was his, was his own voice. Has he ever done a different voice? I mean, it is almost harrowing to think about it's... what could have been. Uh, and you know, as of those like animations kind of like change the face to look a bit like the actor. Yeah. That would have been horrible. <laughs> Well, apparently that's one of the reasons he didn't want to do it. I think he was quite conscious at the time of how he was coming across because um, they got to a period when he wanted to start doing more family films. And I think the idea of his face on Shrek with his voice was just too much, even for him. <laughs> but does that mean he's that... So he's rejected the role? So, I yeah. was on the assumption that he never rejected any roles. That's... <laughs> why he's ended up in this when you're as deep in the cage rabbit hole as i am you start learning things that you can't unlearn uh shrek was one of them he was supposed to be one of the batman films in the 90s um if you've seen lord of the rings he was (laughs) (laughs) i've I've started so i'll finish he was this close to being aragorn <laughs> it's it's true. It's true. No. <laughs> Why have you done this? <laughs> I only invite people on just to ruin their perception of Hollywood. <laughs> so bad. No, who thought that? <laughs> we just thought that would be okay. Look, Peter Jackson is a visionary, and I'm not going to question him after the films I've seen him do. Can you imagine? I, I, can't, I can't even imagine. I thought, I was like, there's no way he could have been an elf. I'm like, please don't be as some elvian. No, only the king of men. Don't worry about it. Only that small role as the king of Gondor. No, he thinks he is. <laughs> so apparently the only reason he didn't take it is just because he didn't want to be away from his family. Um, because he's, he's ultimately a family man. No, there's no way he would have gotten that. No. Yeah, I mean, I could go on on the other roles he's turned down. Okay, tell me a couple. I can't be worse than that. I think that for me was one of the biggest shockers. He turned down um, a role opposite Jim Carrey in Dumb and Dumber. Uh, He was going to be the Dumber. Um, I think he dropped out of that to do Leaving Las Vegas, which he won the award for, so... You know, all for the best. Um, I said Batman. He was mo- meant to play the role of the Scarecrow in uh, one of those 90s Bat-nipple Batman films. Uh, but it flopped and never happened. Yeah. So there's there's a, there's a lot of stuff out there um, of roles. I've could've, would'ves, should'ves. Um, he is still my king of Gondor in my heart. And I'll, and I'll take that to the grave. <laughs> and my sword, because you know, because you my know you. <laughs> and my mega sword. <laughs> I always imagine, just like in Return of the King, before they have that um, 
that big climactic war at the end when Aragorn turns back and he says for Frodo. I'm just imagine Cage's face going for Frodo because you know he would have winked. <laughs> they all the shots would have been like. <laughs> Can you imagine him pushing open those really big doors? You know, like when Aragorn comes, he's like all beat up and like straggly and wet. And he like does this really powerful shot. <laughs> it's just Nicholas Because he would, he would have screamed. There's no question. He would have burst open and gone, "Ah!" Yeah. <laughs> 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 just. Please, this is a three-hour film. Just open the doors and stand there, please. <laughs> Nick, like, the direction in the script clearly says that you have no dialogue in this scene. I'm right red now. It's from rage. <laughs> you, won't, you won't sleep well tonight. Um, so moving on from that, uh, do you have a favourite Nicolas Cage film? Um, Bangkok Dangerous. <laughs> Obviously, it's Bangkok Dangerous. Obviously, it's the most recent one I've watched. I mean, most people, cowards, they'll say Conair, they'll say Face Off. Uh, you might get the Leaving Las Vegas or a Wild at Heart here and there. You might get an adaptation. But the real ones, the real ones, they stuck with Cage when his films were below 10% on Rotten Tomatoes and they never turned his back. So, yeah. fa- so fantastic choice. Um, a little like just doing more research into this. Um, as you can probably tell, this was a commercial failure. Um, is <laughs> like do you do you sort of happen to know what like the production budget for this film was? Um, no. That's fine. Well, it was forty-five million. It pretty much all went on paying Nicolas Cage. Because I wouldn't be surprised. is really cheap. <laughs> well, um, they didn't pay any of the actors. There were a lot of extras in there. I thought they didn't get anything. Yeah, but Bangkok was by all means done a disservice in this film. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I it was kind of the extras like that. You didn't get paid. It's like, but we had the same film in 1999. Why are you doing it again? Yeah, Stop. <laughs> Um, now, from what I saw, it only made forty-two million, so made like a three million loss, and uh, it was actually the lowest-grossing film since the comedy that we've all heard of, Dickie Roberts' former child star in two thousand and three, to debut at number one with seven point eight million on its opening weekend. Um, one of the distribution toppers for Lionsgate said, and I quote: "It will be a nicely profitable film for us." insert sad horn noise here <laughs> so grimace uh and then um i found as well there's a youtube channel watch mojo they always do film lists they've put it in three of their top 10 lists um the first was the worst american remake of a foreign movie at number 10 another oh, yeah. was worst action movie at number eight and the second was just they're running out of film uh, video titles Top 10 terrible action movie remakes, number four. So. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't good. <laughs> <laughs> Watch Mojo has spoken. What I mean, else? Annoying is that the original film looks dope. <laughs> it, like, looks <laughs> badass. 
this is the thing from what i've seen by all accounts the film the original film was actually really good it looks so cool have you seen the trailer no i haven't but i know they've changed a number of things around because america in this (laughs) one um so obviously we'll get into it a, a bit more. Obviously, in this one, he meets um, the deaf mute yes. pharmacist, like in the original. Oh, trivia, trivia away! I don't want to steal the thunder. So, well, you found out that it was a remake. So, in the original, he's a deaf mute hitman, and that's his superpower. That's like his niche that he's deaf, and he's like so good at being a hitman yeah and then because they were like well we're gonna need nicholas cage to have some lines we booked it people are gonna expect him to speak um we're not gonna be able to do that so we'll just meet the person make the person that he meets deaf which is not solving the problem <laughs> yeah we're gonna we're going to take the main selling point of the first film, remove it, and just throw it onto a love interest that doesn't really mean anything. The only interesting part that makes it not a cliche. (laughs) (laughs) Last job, Hitman movie. It's like, look, the last job, that can sort of sell itself, but... It would have been an infinitely more interesting film if they just stuck to what they originally had and Cage was sort of the deaf mute guy who's not affected by gunfire. He's such a like a stone cold killer. But no, they gave him his hair, which is oh boy. <laughs> oh boy. They gave him I don't I to describe his hair, it's just divorced dad who's about a week away from buying a sports car it's not good it's yeah it is like that's a lot of weeks of going like oh i should have gone to the hairdresser that was the only day free i had oh, i'll go the next day i'm free <laughs> like six months <laughs> i mean if it was filmed in a lockdown context then you get a free pass yeah, but this yeah. was filmed this was filmed 12 years ago you get it's no true. pass that's arguably some of his worst hair, and there's no reason for him to look like that. And not <laughs> even... <laughs> it's such a warm place. And even that said, he's always wearing, like, a floral shirt and baggy clothes. <laughs> the baggiest pants. Like, there was there was no costume designer or, or, or anything like that doing, outfitting him. He's like, I'm either going to wear floral shirts and baggy pants or fold leather from top to bottom. There's yeah. no in-between for my character. Madness. The, the other terrible thing, and this is something I was speaking to you about before we recorded, is this might have, Bangkok Dangerous might have one of, if not the worst film poster in living uh, memory. Um, I mean, I'm I'm no Photoshop expert. I'm not a designer. Um, I can crop a head and put it on another head in Photoshop. Um, I don't know why I felt the need to clarify that in case <laughs> the FBI were listening. Uh, <laughs> My skill set. 
<laughs> look, I'm a mega designer, goddammit. I can do some shit. Um, it's basically to describe the post, and it's worth Googling. It's just an image of Cage as Joe, but all his proportions seem to be off. His hand has disappeared into his jacket. His uh, other hand is just a gigantic claw. At one point, there was he was definitely holding a gun, but they decided to edit it out. <laughs> And just give you no information that he's supposed to be a hitman in this film. Yeah, it is the way that his hand just disappears into his jacket and it's like, your arm wouldn't stop there. Where is it? <laughs> <laughs> like, wrapped all the way around him. I don't even know. I don't know where, what happened. It's like you... That would have been an interesting trait to have had. <laughs> if he could make his hand disappear like a magician. <laughs> He didn't have a hand. Anything. He just needed <laughs> Please, I need some kind of character quirk to hold on to. Make it a big hand or a disappearing arm, please. I think that was it for me. It was like he actually had no character. And I've, no. I don't think I've ever watched him that <laughs> was something I had like no <laughs> character. <laughs> Everything he was, because obviously it's like narrated yeah everything he was saying completely contradicted what he was doing <laughs> it was like oh god yeah. killer i don't get involved and then he saw one girl and was like hey what to come out to do with <laughs> so 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 this is the thing so as um as a hitman he has four rules that he lives by for his for his work uh, it's a, a don't ask questions you don't take an interest in people outside of work. You erase every trace, and then you know when to get out. Throughout the course of this film, he breaks all four of those rules repeatedly and often and without remorse. And this is the thing. Not only does he break the rules and not care, uh, he... Uh, he I, just, I just wish there was some reason for, like, why he breaks them. <laughs> so why... <laughs> he makes a big point of basically the plot of Bangkok Dangerous. He goes to Bangkok to do his last four hits, then he's done for good. It never explains why now he's decided to get out, why these are his last four hits. It's just, oh, okay, I, I guess we've joined you in the middle of something. I'll catch up. That's, <laughs> that's um, fine. He like does a couple of hits and then goes out on a date. It's like, just wait a few days, like, <laughs> like stick, you, to the, stick to what, like, nobody's going anywhere. I don't know why, <laughs> why you're doing this. It's like you didn't have to squeeze in a date with a person who you can't communicate with, yeah. and have nothing in common with. You're there on business. It's worked for you so far. You have your little serving boy, then you kill them, and then you move on. Yeah, there was no, there was, and when he, when he was like, oh, I'm going to teach this boy how to do loads of stuff. Why, though? Like, you just <laughs> spent, like, a whole monologue telling us that you just, like, use them and then they're done. Why? <laughs> it's such, there's no reason for him to make these flip. The only explanation he gives 
is he has a voiceover where he says, I looked into his eyes and I saw me. But well, why? What did you see of you in him? You can't just give us like, and even if it was just, oh, I felt sympathy for him, I wanted to train him, at least it would make a little bit of sense. Um, so this, this guy, basically, he sees a uh, like this sort of urchin on the street called Kong who just uh, hijacks and steals stuff from tourists. Um, he's supposed to use him just to run his errands, then he kills him when um, the job's finished because he's erasing every trace. This guy is definitely has, like, romantic lead looks i did not buy for a second that he was like just a sidekick (laughs) you're like the guy that the girl falls in love with in loads of thai films like you have to be like like, genuinely is is like this is not believable he was (laughs) model off the street he's like oh yeah (laughs) i'm cutting cash it's like look at your face dude you're a good-looking guy. Nicholas Cage just flashed a wad of cash at you. Like, yep, that's fine. I'm in. <laughs> no, no questions at no. all. I'm in. Uh, but he, even like this character Kong, he's sort of relegated to just being the middleman because Cage has this rule that he can't meet the people that hired him. So he just gets a middleman, and then his middleman meets the employee's middle woman. They have a romantic relationship. They basically meet at a pop world and just stare at each other for a while, and then they fall in love, which which makes no sense either. No. That was very quick. I think you just kind of had to like accept that that happened. There wasn't really time to be like, but when, why? <laughs> so, because also it was yeah. like really crucial to the plot change. <laughs> so you really had to just accept it. But also, the amount of times Nicolas Cage says to Kong, I'm not going to pay you. Why doesn't he just leave? <laughs> like, <laughs> if you don't do this, I'm not going to pay you. If you do this, I'm not going to pay you. And then he does the job and he comes back and he's like, yeah, I'm not going to pay you. I'd be like, well, fuck you then, weird white man that's come to this country <laughs> and pretended to offer me money. <laughs> You keep your little white savior complex and you go find some other schmuck. You I'm don't good. have any money, do you? <laughs> like, <laughs> obviously clock that. You can't just wave money in my face and then I like I'm not on a contract with you. Yeah, exactly. I, I, it's like I have freelance rights, probably. It's I think it just would have been a more interesting yeah, film. I if uh, like Cage had basically been the Mr. Miyagi to Kong and then Kong had learned, because he would have been, he's a more engaging character because Joe is just, unless he's being googly-eyed at uh, Fon, I think her character was, the the deaf-mute pharmacist, um, he, he wasn't really doing anything else. Well, at least he had some kind of development. He had a character. Petty Thief goes after tourists pickpockets steal a bit of money wants to become something joins up with this guy who shows him loads of like fighting skills that's a some kind of development at least (laughs) he's far more engaging and doesn't get the time like he gets trained by cage to like shoot watermelons so if he sees a big fruit he can shoot it that's fine but um he doesn't really get to do much with the skills he learns at all he 
turns up to Cage's house being beaten up, says, train me. Cage is like, no. Um, and then just attacks him with a knife repeatedly to train him. <laughs> Harrowing. And then that tra- yeah, that training doesn't really ever come into it. Like he does it near the end, he gets attacked and he does it for like a second and he wards them off. And then he just gets like captured anyway. So yeah. even like the big crescendo of him using everything he's learned didn't work. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> he's a really bad teacher. Yeah, so we're going to give you 10 minutes of character development. And I think that's quite enough for you, sidekick. <laughs> We've got some more cage to talk about. Um, but like I said, I wish I wish they'd done more with Kong because there was a lot of ground, I think, to see more of him. Because again, it's it's weird that Cage takes this sympathy for him. The only reason it seems to be is that one day, uh, I think the first or second time he turns up to Cage's house, he sees there's a picture of an elephant on the wall. And it's like, oh, trunks pointing down. That's bad luck. You need to turn that upside down. And then Cage has a big thing with this elephant. And then suddenly he takes Kong more seriously because he's brought luck to him. I I don't really know. I think, yeah, I think that was supposed to be a really massive symbolic point to the film. And I'd forgotten it until you mentioned it. I think that was supposed to, I think that was supposed to show that he changed but I don't know really in what way or why or <laughs> yeah. what it means. It that just was just a physical upside down and like, and new man. You're yeah. a new man. And then when, when Kate, I keep saying Cage like it was him starring as himself. When Joe was out in the, well, the market with fun, wasn't he? We don't know for sure. Yeah. Um <laughs> we don't know when he slips in and out of character. He's a mega actor after all. Um, he was out on a date with Fon at a market and they saw that elephant. And I thought that was going to be like a bigger thing because they've made a point of elephants being symbolic. And he just... They did not even put two and two together. <laughs> <laughs> well, because it meant so little and they did nothing yeah, with it. Really? Like he puts his hand on the trunk for like 10 seconds Think, oh, is the elephant going to become symbolic? Is it going to have more meaning with him in his life and his uh, newfound outlook now that he's sinned and fell in love with a woman? Uh, you know, no, no, just touches an elephant trunk. What's so fucked up is that we're literally inside his head with the narration and we still have no idea what's going on or what he's thinking. It's, It's so... It's so weird. There's just no no concepts of what he is, what he's doing, where the film is going. We get like the the through line that he's got the bits and pieces to take care of. The last four hits, um, and the first two, they're bad people. They're like sex traffickers, and uh, they pose difficulty to the guy that's employed them. Um, but then the last guy, it turns out it's it's the the, uh, the prime minister of of Bangkok, and the only reason it seems to be that he doesn't kill him is because Kong says, "Oh, he's a good man, like you." Is he? Well, I don't know where he's gotten that from. 
<laughs> that seems like a old claim that you've made there. Um, I'm not entirely convinced, but that seems like it's there's just no there's just no reason for him to stop being a killer. He seems to be making good money. We don't know why he got into killing. We don't know why he's getting out of killing. Um, the only reason seems to be that uh, after the first hit, he cuts his arm on his bike because he nearly runs into a, a kid that runs into the road. And then he goes to the pharmacist, um, sees fun, and then just suddenly becomes absolutely obsessed with her. Yeah, but it's also it's kind of like everything's a bit in the wrong order because if he said... If he was going and he was like, I'm doing all of these hits because that's my job, but then after that, that I'll do all these hits, that's fine. And then he meets this girl and then he questions it. But he was already, this was the last job already. So she made no impact. They have that very awkward scene of them together um, when they have that uh, that meal. They have like a like a dinner date together and they... They can't communicate. They can't talk. They, he's, just keeps eating hot food and is like, oh, 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 that's hot. And she's telling him to drink like eat a mint. Um, I don't watch. Think is this like? Am I, am I supposed to find him more relatable? I don't know. How, I don't know how to feel now. Is is the thing She, by all accounts, has a very easy role. Just so smile good. a bit. Yeah. Like, <laughs> She's like, I don't what? understand this film. <laughs> <laughs> What's he on about? The silly, the silly-haired weirdo. Yeah. Just, just baffling, um, and baffling as well when it gets to when we get towards the end. So, as you're saying, Kong, his development meant nothing he gets beaten up his um i don't even know if we can really say say girlfriend the 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 middle woman that he met has been taken hostage uh because at this point joe has basically said to his employers um wind your necks in otherwise i'll come for you and then everyone he knows is starting to get abducted um and then he just goes on this I don't even know what it is like this this mission of glory going out in a blaze of glory and just to sacrifice himself which he does at the end and there's no no reason for him to kill himself no no there was no reason for him to have fucked up all of these hits or decided that he didn't want to do them there was no reason for anything and I've just realised now that the like deaf mute girlfriend she just, this, she just isn't part of anything. She doesn't, she doesn't, she's, she's in the film, but she doesn't impact any of his decisions. So he was already no. not doing the hits, so she didn't impact that. It was Kong who said, you're 
assassinate him. So it didn't have any impact on that. She didn't have any impact on the end. Why was she... Why was she... It was just because they were like, right, in the original he's death, we're gonna need to do something with that. Yep. Um, all... I suppose she's supposed to give him some kind of human grounding, but then she witnesses him defend them from two muggers who he kills. She freaks out and runs off, which is the only believable thing that's happened in this film so far, is that someone seen a murderer and ran away. Um, But then when he's going off to do the, the final hit, he sort of stops outside her house on a motorbike. and He just looks up at her. Then she closes the curtain, and the only emotion we see from Joe is when he just lowers his head in his helmet, and it's just drops his head, and it's just the saddest thing. The only the only sad thing he's done all film. Um, and then we don't, and she runs after him, um, but then we we don't see her again. There's no chance for reconciliation. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely gone. Um, but what, when he when he gets to the final hit, obviously he doesn't kill the Prime Minister of Bangkok because he's told that uh, he's a good man. He doesn't take the shot, even though he imagines himself taking the shot, which I don't know. I don't understand why he did that. Why and then he... he I mean, if you're going to do it, you're there. Yeah. And then he gets, you went to the whole thing, you got set up, he was wearing top-to-toe black biker leathers for some reason, um, and then he gets spotted by the SWAT team, runs away, um, eventually finds that Kong um, has been abducted, and then goes to their factory building, yeah. where there's a lot of water bottles. You know what happened in that place as well, is that Somebody showed up to the film set like, I've got these really cool red lights and really cool blue lights. Is there like a scene <laughs> we can use these in because they're really cool? And they're like, well, let's just do all of this in red light. And then they'll go to another room and they'll do all of it in blue light. And it's like, great. It's like, you know what would make this room full of plastic water bottles better? <laughs> red lighting. <laughs> That's not. Don't don't sell yourself short. Let's use yeah. let's use both of them. Why not? But it's throughout the film we're, we're supposed to be we're supposed to be led to believe that he's this sort of top hitman. Um, but then the final scene where he's just taking out bad guys. It's so it's so dull. <laughs> it's so boring. <clears throat> the, the only the only interesting and I can't even use that word um, in a serious context when he's got his both guns out and he's having this shoot fight shooting through like rows and rows of three bottles shooting through water bottles with these this other guy they're just walking slowly from right to left shooting water's going a bit everywhere um, because the only callback there is when he tells Kong when he's training him um have eyes in the back of your head, like use reflections to see people around. And he's like, oh, look, there's a guy in a red jacket. Where? If you look in this mirror, he's behind you. 
And he's like, oh, I'm going to use that lesson. Kong never uses that <laughs> lesson. <laughs> it's like at the end. <laughs> Kong doesn't use that lesson at all. And it's just like at the end of the film, uh, they suddenly remember, oh, yeah, we're going to have him look into a, a reflective funnel. So it looks like he knows what he's doing. Um, and then he gets he gets shot. And it looks like, again, I've never been shot, so I can't really say. It looks like he was shot in the arm. It didn't look like a critical hit, but he looks at that wound and is like, uh, well, I guess this means I've got to kill myself now. This is the this is the only out because we're supposed to be led to believe that they're surrounded by police. Yeah. At most, there were two police cars and two policemen. Also, just to go back in the film like a tiny bit because it's coming to the point where it's like he was really out in the open by the end in that car and like surrounded by police, which is just like you're a professional hitman. Why are so many people able to see you? But it just brings me back to the floating market scene, which you know that somebody was just like, the floating market in Bangkok is so bad, let's definitely do a scene there. Yeah. But everybody, everybody who was there saw him running with a gun in his hand across the whole market. There were literally people there with cameras taking photos. Like he wasn't discreet. Wasn't discreet at all. He had like that tiny gold camera which he just like peeped out with a little like a camera hole. Um, He the only reason they sort of were supposed to have been given away is because a a market lady um, started shaking the boat demanding they buy things. And then he got apps, and then he got rumbled because of that. So easily. It was. It's like, oh well, like that looks. It's like that looks like Nicolas Cage. Um, I'm gonna get out of here right now. So then they. There's a, again, it's not even that exciting of a, a chase scene. Yeah. It's just two boats. Following each yeah. other, <laughs> it's not exactly high octane. Um, I'm not sure. Thinking about it now, if the if the boats were ever in the same shot at the same time, it seems like they just didn't want to disturb the market. And like, <laughs> it's like it's a big market today, guys. We can't really, yeah. we can't really disturb that. One of, and obviously, I'll go back because then. I'll go back to the market stall in a bit, but just touching on sort of Bangkok, they Joe makes a point at the start of the film of doing like, oh, Bangkok, it's seedy, it's dangerous, it's got a horrible underbelly. But that's never really explored. The Bangkok I saw here seemed quite nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, when to buy bedroom furniture, it's like, oh, it's a seedy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to me... The film should have been called Bangkok question mark. Dangerous, maybe. It it wasn't as dangerous as it's been sold to me. Yeah, he was the only dangerous part. He was running around (laughs) out in the open shooting guns at everyone. Yeah, if anything, 
it's his reckless abandon for life that has made it dangerous. But then he, when he's he's chasing the guy in the boat, um, he then jumps onto the path on the side, steals like a little a little dirt bike. Yeah. Um, then they're just shooting at each other, and for a hitman, I've said more accurate hitman. He doesn't. He's, he's, he he shoots him when he's he already cut his arm off. Now. He gets it when he's like right. And so, <laughs> and fair, we just... he gets it in the end, but he's like <laughs> less than a meter away from. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, he does always get his man in the end. But yeah. this is this this is something I wanted to talk about because it's not an outward an outwardly graphic film but when he slices that guy's hand off with the the boat motor propeller I was like where the fuck did that come from that wasn't necessary at all you had him you had him beat (laughs) so you've got him down you had him beat and then you just cut (laughs) you cut his arm off why yeah but it also was like It's like they said, we've already changed this film enough. Yeah. Let's not. <laughs> this would be too much to but cut this man's hand off. Like, outright God is like, don't do something that is so horrible. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't just. If they just made it maybe just stuck to the violence a bit more and just not implied it. And like in the worst way, because there's ways you can imply stuff without showing it. And then there's just Nicolas Cage with bad hair cutting a man's arm off and then shooting him as he's already on the floor. Yeah. I, I felt so, I like, I know the guy was bad, but I felt sorry for him. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there's, there's, um. Yeah, I think I'm doing that. I was like, let him go. Like, <laughs> You've done enough. He won't come back. Like I mean, he's he's absolutely not going to come back. You've done enough to him. You've yeah. made you've made your point. Yeah. All right, you've made your point. Um, but no, if nothing else, the the floating market looks very pleasant, and I'd love to go someday. Yeah. Um, that's. It is secretly that whole film is just a fucking tourist trap. Yeah. It's just an endorsement for Bangkok. Yeah. And actually, saying that, apparently, the there was an actual endorsement in the film. Uh, when he um, when he has his targets, he sets a timer on his watch because he has to get it exactly right all the time. Oh yeah, they really um, showed a lot of shots of those watches. So what's the deal with them? I'm glad you asked, Darren. <laughs> um, so. Apparently, that watch was uh, endorsed by Nicolas Cage. It's a Ventura VTEC Sigma W25R1, hashtag not an ad, um, but it's basically product placement for that watch. It was not subtle product placement. It was no. like every other shot was the it, I mean, I don't know if it's a good or a bad watch, but the only selling point was like, it has a big timer on it, yeah. like a lot of watches do. Yeah. It didn't look like a very good watch, but it was like, it was a 
I don't need that many yes, zeros. I need. Five. A... There should be like six zeros. <laughs> <laughs> if I'm gonna look at my wrist to see the time, I need an answer there and then. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't need to work it out. Stop doing it in binary. Just. <laughs> <laughs> Just uh, like four numbers tops. <laughs> I can if if it's light outside, it's the day. If it's dark, it's night. I can put two and two together. That's fine. Um, oh, I forgot as well. He gets uh, Cage gets attacked by um, uh, Surat. That's the name of the bad guy. He gets attacked by his cronies at his home, and then he blows his house up and hides in a bathtub. Yes, he just jumps in the bathtub like that. <laughs> when he's blown yeah. up the ground floor of the house, the explosion goes I mean it goes in all directions. <laughs> yeah. I I mean two things there in my notes. Good. I was like when that explosion happened, my first note was I don't think the science holds up on that <laughs> one. My second note was why is he dressed like John Wick? Speaking of Keanu Reeves, I mean, do you do you just happen to be in a suit to blow your house up if you're going to do it? Dress for the occasion, I suppose. Um, but then he, yes, yeah, so he blows the house up, um, and then jumping back to the end, so he gets shot. It doesn't look like it's a life-threatening wound, but then the um, Surat, the main henchman, is like running away, so he he gets in the police car with him after having killed about 20 nameless goons who uh, got a, probably got a nice paycheck out of it. And then the police, and I'm air-quoting this, surround them. There's two police cars yeah. I counted. <laughs> two or three policemen tops. It was def- could definitely have escaped. So he's like, well, I, uh, I guess I'm stuck. So he just puts his head adjacent to Surat's and shoots them both through the head. Which, first I was like, the film didn't build up to that ending <laughs> at all. That's a cop-out if I've ever seen one. But then the, the most confusing thing is like, oh, is that how it ends? But then it just ends with a slow-mo shot of Kong looking out over a river, and then credits. And my first thought was like, oh. Oh! What? So, I think Kong gets away... Joe has killed himself for no reason. Nothing has led up to that point. And for a film with so little character development, I was just left angry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't. How did what? I waited this uh, long for something to make sense. <laughs> I was just just one answer, please, and uh, the. And even now I'm stuttering because I'm just angry thinking about the lack of closure on that film. But how how was the ending for you when it got to the end? Joe dead, Kong River, credits. Um, I think I just went... <laughs> just, well, it's over. The, kind of the problem with the film is that it's so... There's just so nothing to it. But it's not even yeah. like, oh, but what? Like, why? <laughs> like, there's no, there's no time to do like to do that because the whole thing is just like, what 
It's like you so can't. So that kind of almost makes sense. Like, <laughs> in a world where nothing makes sense, for the most it's... not sense thing to happen at the end, it makes sense. <laughs> it 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 was for me. It's like you can't give me a film of nothing, sandwich it with nothing, and then the ending be nothing, and then expect me to feel something. <laughs> When I've just, when I've been desperate for a connection for ninety minutes, ninety minutes. But I don't know if you saw this as well. There was um, an alternate ending to the film, um, which, and again, considering that the lack of sense makes sense, the alternate ending actually makes sense. Um, so I'll 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 sort of read you verbatim. I want to do a shot by shot. <laughs> um, if if I can if I can act out a shot by shot, yeah. I wish <laughs> I wish I could. So, um, so apparently here, um, before Joe shoots him and Sura in the head, Kong steals a police car and rescues him. Um, Sura then gets killed. They run to the stolen car. I think. Kong or Joe gets shot once. They escape from the police, hide in the neighbourhood a few metres away, um, and then the locals come out to investigate the commotion. Kong reveals that Joe has killed Surat, so now they're free of this uh, criminal overlord. Um, now all that that mess is gone. So they all the locals will help Joe recuperate. Um, one of them says that he's got a bad... Uh, that Surat's got a bad reputation um, and now his death means the atrocities of his group have come to an end, there could be some peace restored to Bangkok um, and then this is when that scene at the end of Kong staring over the river actually comes in Kong takes Joe to the boatman uh, helps him to flee the country Joe's like, oh thank you for assistance and then he gives him his bank account number and he gives him offers him a bonus and said, um, because you were a good student this is for you. So then Joe leaves, and then that's when we get that shot of Kong at the very end of the film. He's watching Joe leave. That's that. That's a, That's an actual film, right? <laughs> that's actually, that would actually make a film. This, like, I, He's like, the I teacher, just teacher, student becomes the the leader, swap places, Kong saves him, but. Yeah, so like Kong's character development would have meant something. Yes. Joe would have got a sort of kind of happy ending. Kong gets a financial embarrassment for his trouble. He would have developed from Hitman to somebody who doesn't want to be a Hitman to somebody who sees good and wants to do good to somebody who's actually done good. (laughs) Arcs. He would have gone from Hitman to Man. And it and it would have made sense. It would like, have made sense. I read that like I watched the film and I was like, God damn, what a way to leave such a sour <laughs> taste in your mouth. Then I saw there was an alternative ending and I was like, Why didn't they put that <laughs> in the film? Obviously it's what the movie is about. Why would you take out what the movie <laughs> <laughs> That would have taken the film from an eight percent rotten tomato to at least an eleven. Definitely. That would have 
Like, it would have been dull, but at least it would have had a finality and it would have made sense. It would have had some closure. But now I have to live the rest of my life knowing I'll never have closure on this film. How did they not? What is the thought process that you just don't make this film? You make the film and then you just don't do the rest of it. Because that's what so, happened. They made most of the film. And it's thought, so. Nobody's probably going to make it to the end anyway. So <laughs> it's so bizarre. It's like the thought, right? Well, we'll remake this film, this uh, this this great film of Thai cinema from nineteen ninety nine. We're going to remove all the best parts of it, put Nicolas Cage in it, and then we're not going to give it an ending. And then and they signed deals on contracts, shook hands, like. Yes. Bangkok Dangerous. Baffling. Completely baffling. Wow, I did not know that. So this... Like that's even, it. Even that alternate ending, though, did get me Francis. <laughs> oh, no, no, she's she, done. She was a <laughs> Oh, no, she's, um, she had her time. Yeah. She had a nice, she had a nice meal with Joe, but, um... Yeah, Joe got to meet the parent. He, he even got to meet the mother, but it means nothing. <laughs> she was never coming back in any version of this film. No, she uh, she had her fifteen minutes of fame, and then they said, um, "Nah, we're gonna we're gonna just drop the one human element of Joe's character and uh, just get him to kill himself." Because I suspect that might be how the Pang brothers felt by the end of uh, their... Th- I think this was their, their first ever Hollywood film as well. Um, so it's so it's probably how they felt. It's like, well, we can't kill ourselves, so we'll just get Joe to do it. America doesn't get an ending. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's just one big fucking... I like the, <laughs> the only way this makes sense... Is it if it was the Pang brother saying "fuck you" to Cage in Hollywood? Yeah. If it was like we're going to bring down the average rotten tomatoes, we're going to bring Nicholas's average way down. Uh, you're getting a, a, a less than ten yeah. percent film, and you've done this to yourselves. Yeah. <laughs> in genuinely incredible. Um, so that, so that it made no sense in the beginning, what little sense it gave us, it threw it all away. No characters had any progression. The ending was apparently a big fuck you to you, me, Cage and Hollywood, but that there, that is Bangkok Dangerous, uh, Nicolas Cage's only film in 2008. But now you've seen it, Aaron. Now we've uh, we've we've come to the end of this stop on the journey to true cage nirvana, the highest spiritual possible being. How do you feel? Um, now you've made it through Bangkok. Dangerous. <laughs> Dangerous, but not for the right reasons. <laughs> I I now feel like a danger to myself yeah. after after watching this film. Uh, I'll so that will bring it up in conversation again sometime. It's one of those. 
this is this is going into my notepad of things to bring up in conversations when it's dying down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when people are like, you don't really know what you're talking about. Oh, has anybody seen that conversation? <laughs> <laughs> that, that is the absolute breaking case of emergency icebreaker. Yeah. <laughs> anybody uh, seen? <anybody's> <laughs> 2008, Bangkok, Bangkok Dangerous, not not much else happened in 2008. Um, we got Grand Theft Auto 4 and Bangkok Dangerous. Okay, what a year are, for media. You're in that icebreaker, you've just brought up Bangkok Dangerous, suddenly goes, oh no, I've not seen it. What, what's it about? What do you say? <laughs> First of all, I say strap yourselves in, <laughs> because I'm going to need you to sit down. Nicolas Cage is a hitman. He goes to Bangkok for no reason. He ignores all of his rules for no reason. He falls in love for no reason. Bangkok isn't that dangerous for no reason. And then the film ends with an ending that has no reason. It's 90 minutes. And then I make my exit out the window. <laughs> I shimmy. I I start high fiving all the other guests. Like yeah. So anyone for Twister? Yeah. <laughs> I just start then like pushing, piling as many uh, like cocktail sausages and snacks into my pockets as again like oh six pm oh so late for me and I just get the fuck out of there. When you gotta go, you gotta go. Um, <laughs> unbelievable. So, um, on that absolute ice-breaking high note, that brings us to the end of this episode of Bangkok, comma dangerous question mark. Still not sure. Um, <laughs> Aaron, thank you very, very much for joining me on this journey it's been a pleasure to have you um is there is there any parting words or wisdom that cage has inspired in you that um, you've taken away from bangkok dangerous stay mega always be mega with everything you do um, so <laughs> i feel like i put a lot of effort into trying to make things good or make sense in my life and Just like Bangkok Dangerous, life is meaningless. And <laughs> and on the and on that absolute exclamation mark, that bombshell of an ending. Thank you again, Aaron, for joining us. Uh, thank you for joining us. This episode of Cage Rage, Nicholas Cage Podcast. Keep on, keep on caging, and a bye.